you like to welcome Mr. David Simpkins? Problem with warm welcomes, you always wonder what's uh, coming next from uh, uh, you lot. Um, <laughs> appropriately enough, um, we're going to look at Numbers 16. Um, <coughs> so if you'd like to turn to that uh, in your Bible, uh, I say appropriately enough because it's all about rebellion. Uh, and <laughs> Seeds of rebellion. So uh, you might even feel there's a few seeds uh, floating about here. Uh, you probably know that uh, those of us that uh, do uh, speak uh, on any regular basis here, uh, uh, often we're given a topic and we're looking at the uh, life of Moses uh, from various aspects. And you know that there is some paranoia amongst us because uh, we always think that when we look at our passage that we are being set up yet again by Nigel um, <laughs> as to what we're going to make and what sort of hash we're going to make of this. So I'm going to read, I, I have not put it up on there because it just goes on too long unfortunately. So I'm going to read from the uh, NIV um, and uh, you can read in your own versions or you can just listen. And it starts at verse 1. Korah. Son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. Uh, you, you will remember that uh, uh, Moses' father-in-law came into the camp uh, and said, look, you can't manage all the uh, things that are going on here. You need to appoint leaders uh, of, of, uh, that, that will be able, people will be able to turn to. And this, these are some of them. They came, in verse 3, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves up above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and to all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will, call, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't enough isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the, the community and minister to them? He has brought you all, you and all your fellow Levites near himself. But now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble amongst, against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Ibram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we won't come. 
Isn't it enough that you've brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? And now you want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offerings. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer, put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each man took his censers, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so that I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, Move back from their tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from Korah, Dathan and Abram. Dathan and Abram had come out and were standing with their wives and children, little ones, at the entrance of the tent. Then Moses said, This is how you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death, and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them up with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord's assembly with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them with their household and all of Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive to the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and they were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to take the censers out of the smoldering remains and scatter to the coals some distance away, for the censers are holy. The censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have, and have become holy. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. So Eleazar, the priest, collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned up and he had them hammered out to overlay the altar 
as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except the descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he would become like Korah and his followers. Now we're going to stop there, but actually if you read on to the next ten verses, you will find that yet another rebellion breaks out, and, and, and the Lord sends plague, and I think... Uh, 14,700 die the next day. So there is here uh, uh, dissent. Opposition and rebellion, where did it come from? When I read this, chap this chapter, uh, I looked and thought, right, what's brought this about? But you see, we don't know. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But it seems to come from absolutely nowhere. And that's one of the problems with dissent. And I think that's something that we need to listen to as a church. Not because I think dissent is here, but I think we need to be aware of what happens when dissent starts to well up. It can brew for some time before emerging quite unexpectedly. All of a sudden, it's there. Just like it is here. There's nothing going on before it. It's suddenly there. And you think, where did it come from? Here, it seems to come from two quarters. Uh, and it results in not one, not two, but three rebellions. And resentment can come from many, even close relatives. If you look back in Numbers 12, you will find that Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, also became resentful of uh, what was happening to uh, him and uh, the fact that he was lording it over them, according to her and that she said is he the only one that can prophesy so it can come dissent can come from odd ways so let's see who are the main characters well Korah leads one faction from the Levites uh, Dathan and Abiran his two brothers from the Reubenites are another faction there's a fellow called On who comes on and then disappears um, you, you heard his name On uh, son of so and so uh, then he's off and I think this is probably where you get that expression having a walk on part um, because <laughs> but you never see it, it doesn't, I, I looked and looked and looked and looked through all sorts of concourse he doesn't appear again so I don't know what happened to him but there we are so you've got two brothers from the Reubenite clan, uh, a big form, another faction. And then in the middle of this, there's 250 community leaders who may have been Levites or may have come from across the other tribes. I suspect that's what it happens. They came from across the other tribes. What was the occasion? Well, simply the Bible just doesn't tell us. But what is clear is that there's been quite a groundswell of anti-Moses feeling bubbling up. So, when was it? No. When was it? Well, probably about the time of the spies returning from Canaan. That's about the best I can pick it up and most others. It's about that time. And the people had refused to enter because of the giants who lived there. That event pro promoted a lot of unrest. The future, if you think about it, looked very uncertain. There was Egypt behind. There was the promised land ahead. Canaan lay ahead. But the spies had said, but we can't take it. They're, they're too big for us. The giants, they're too strong. We can't do it. What are you left with? Well, guys, you're left with the desert, the wilderness. And that was going to be their home for the next 40 years. So 
although we don't know, it's probably uh, about that time. And the result was rebellion. There was deep resentment coming from the, the Levites uh, towards Moses and Aaron for their position before God. Here they were, men called by God. And there was resentment coming up. Who is this guy? Who said he? We didn't vote him in. We didn't ask for him to be there. Why should he be doing it? And actually, that can come, dear beloved, from churches. It can come, who is this Nigel? We didn't ask him. I mean, we said nobody Welsh. He doesn't even speak English properly, let alone Welsh. When surely we... uh, And and, and it can start to rumble up and bumble up. Um, and, And we need to be very, very careful about that. But what it comes down to, I think, was wanting more than God uh, had given them. Korah, uh, as I've just uh, said earlier, or showed earlier, was a cousin of Moses and Aaron. He was a very close relative indeed. And he clearly resented the fact that the two brothers had been chosen, Moses and Aaron, uh, by the Lord, to be his voice. And and had been selected uh, uh, to uh, 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 hear from God. And to make matters even worse, Aaron and his sons had been selected by God to be his priestly line. That's where you get the priesthood. The priesthood came down through Moses, uh, from Aaron and Eleazar. And, and the Levites were to serve uh, the rest of the Israel. Yet, yet Korah, if you look back, had been selected uh, to care for the most holy things in the tabernacle. They'd got a tremendously important job. That clan had been selected personally by God. I want you to take care of the most holy things. And yet it wasn't enough. As for the Levites, well, they were the only ones who could serve in and around the tabernacle. They in turn were to be cared for materially and financially by the rest of Israel. They weren't going to have an inheritance when they went into the promised land. No, the other 11 tribes were to give money and goods and possessions to care for them. They'd been singled out for special service. But it still wasn't enough. People seeking position in the church can run the risk of going beyond where their gifting and calling might lay. And I've seen it time and time again. And those of you who have been around churches will have seen it also. And they resent it sometimes or often when they're not given due praise or recognition or indeed that they are not promoted to the position that they feel entitled to. That's often where resentment comes from. And these resentments can burn deep and suddenly surface and cause a great deal of damage. I'm not going to mention the name of the church. You know where it is. Um, But a church I was leading... uh, uh, it, ca- it came that we, we were leading it because the, 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 the leadership had fallen apart and didn't feel that they could manage uh, the church. And so they asked Maureen and I to go along and lead them. And one of the leading guys there who'd been an elder, um, they all stepped down from eldership. In fact, he was the only one that left that thing. Uh, and and, and uh, we, we, we started to uh, build the church and rebuild it and to move it forward. And after a while... Uh, this chap came to me, uh, and we had lunch together, and he said, um, I'm rather surprised, you know, that you uh, haven't appointed me an elder yet. And um, it was one of those awful moments when you think, 
oh, um, I've got to grab hold of this one right now uh, and deal with it. This is when leadership becomes ever so, ever so lonely. Because I had to say, I'm sorry, but I don't see in you eldership material. Um, you, 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 you ran away from, your, from the position last time. Your, 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 your marriage is not in order. I'm sorry, I'm not going to uh, make you an elder. However, I would like you to serve with me and, and lead, help lead the church. I will value your, your guidance uh, and, and uh, your input. And it went along like that for several years, several years, um, until the church grew. Uh, it got to the state, I think we'd got 60 to 70 uh, people regularly coming. I was still doing a full-time job um, as well as uh, uh, running the church as well. And it was just getting too much to me. And on the very day that I'd gone in to give my notice, uh, my employer, my manager, uh, we had a meeting set up that morning, said, Dave, I've got some bad news for you. You're going to be made redundant. Oh, yes! Um, and and, and the, 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 the trick then was to look down, down, oh, no, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, but uh, within, within the year, uh, uh, we, 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 I, was, I was free, uh, and, and I was released. And um, uh, we talked to the leadership team, this other guy was part of it, uh, that, that I, actually they would, church would employ me for just three days a week. I would give, be paid for three days a week, much lower than the salary I'd been earning, but I would serve them for three days a week. And this was seen as great, and uh, it was going to be great. And, and we, were, we were calling together, rather like we do tonight, <laughs> a church meeting to tell them that. And the day before, this guy phoned up and said... Um, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, he said, um, I'm sorry, I can't support this. And I said, what do you mean you can't? I, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm having second thought. I can't support this. So we went into the meeting, and then this rebellion broke out. This faction broke out. And it just came out of the woodwork, completely, poof! And, and fortunately, the, the rest of the people didn't accept it, but it was there. And, and it was a very unpleasant and very nasty time, one of the nastiest times. And I know some of you have been through it as well, but it was a very unpleasant time. And it was all about... Jealousy is all about what well, you've taken this church on, but now we want to take it back. Uh, we want our position. We want our authority. And it's clearly wrong. So it can and does happen out of the blue. And uh, it, it, it can be, we, we need to guard against it. So here at Gateway, we like to read the Bible, but we like to apply these things to our own lives and to uh, our, our church uh, lives. So what are the lessons for us? Well, partly we need to keep clear minds and pure hearts with regard to our gifting and calling. Our gifting and calling is something we have stirring in here, but it's also something that's recognised by others. Does that make sense to you? Some pe people see it and recognize it and say, this is something that you can do. It's a difficult call to make. Because on the one hand, the Bible talks about desiring gifts, especially prophecy, and for leaders to want to lead and become elders. That's perfectly biblical. On the other hand, we are warned not to think too highly of ourselves or to go beyond our gifting. Don't go. And that's a different call to wait. 
So how do we actually do that? How do we guard against it? Well, firstly, I think to have a desire to serve the church in whatever capacity and to do that work because it's recognised by our leaders and our friends. When we uh, retired from Telford, uh, we were asked actually to go to uh, Barnabas uh, and uh, we were asked if we would head up, I was asked if I would head up the pastoral team uh, and be responsible for all the pastoral issues within the church. The elders would, would, uh, uh, wanted me to form a team and everything pastorally would come to me. I would talk to the elders and, and, and uh, uh, we, we would take that. It was going to be quite a big job. The church is two, over 200 people and it was quite a big job. And I thought about that quite a lot. And Maureen, bless her, uh, was asked if she would actually take on all the finance for the church. Uh, again, quite a big job. Um, and we, we thought about it and, and uh, we I didn't rest quite comfortably. So when we came across here and Nigel said, come on, come join us now, come join us over here, come join us over here, um, as he does. Um, and and, and we, we, in the end, we, we, we came and joined him. But one of the things he said to me is, what, what would you, how, what, how would you, and I said, we don't want any position in the church. We want just to serve you. We want to serve the people here in whatever way you want us to do it. So if you want us to do this, we'll do it. If you want us to do that, we'll do it. And one of the first things that happened was Maureen took over the notices. Do you remember that? Uh, do you remember that? Because Nigel used to do them. Mercy. And, and we... Uh, and and, <laughs> and uh, so we had... We, 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 and, and then, you know, we, you know, we just... We let a cell group for a time, then we're not, and now we're doing something different. And every now and again, they let me stand up here and berate you lot. And, 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 but we're here to serve you. Beloved, we're here to serve you. And that's one of the ways that we can guard against having too high an opinion, is that we are willing to serve in whatever capacity God says. Whatever capacity God says. Secondly, to be in good close friendship with people who will speak the truth to us. That is ever so difficult to do. Good, open, honest friendship means that we can speak the truth in love. We can talk to each other. We can share with each other. We can build each other up. We can actually say, you're making a complete picture of yourself. You know, why do you do that? That means good friendship. It really means good friendship. There's a lot of trust going to be in there where people can say, why did you do that? Why did you do that? What, what on earth did you, what made you do it? And, and you, you need that sort of thing. As the proverb puts it, we can sharpen each other up as iron sharpens iron. We sharpen each other up. Uh, I've got a steel at home uh, and uh, knives whenever I'm doing any boning or anything like that, uh, I, I sharpen the, the knife up and they become very, very sharp, as often the plaster will illustrate. But I, it, it, two or three strokes on the steel sharpens it up, no end. You, you, you've done it yourselves with a knife. And that's what it does with us. It sharpens up. So friendship isn't cosy all the time. It isn't ever so nice. It's actually talking and saying, I'm not so sure you're right in that area. I'm not so sure you should be doing that. It takes time and effort to develop this type of friendship where we can feel comfortable speaking into each other's lives. When it happens, it prevents us from having ideas that can lead to self-importance and making fools of ourselves. 
Come on, how often of late have you felt, particularly of our political leaders, when they have embarked on a disastrous policy, and you think to yourself, did they not have any friends that would tell them what's going to happen? You've seen it time and time again with what's happening, uh, with, particularly, I'm not being political now, but with our government. They seem to be making lots of silly errors, which you think to yourself, but did nobody ever tell you? I mean, the biggest one was this disaster over this 10p, uh, 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 took it, taking away the 10p uh, income tax rate for the lowest paid. Remember that? They wiped away. And, and, and they sud suddenly found that there were thousands of the poorest people in the country were actually worse off. Now, come on, you're not telling me that the number crunches at the Treasury hadn't worked that one out. So why did nobody tell them? Why? And there's time and time again, you see it so often. Why does nobody tell them? Um, you sometimes see it, I'm just getting excited now, uh, you know, with people, the way they dress, and you think, surely somebody should tell them. Uh, uh, not that Mac would ever do that, uh, but I sometimes, I sometimes catch Mac looking me up and down and thinking, oh, dear, 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 dear. And, and uh, you know, she's got too much grace, but that's got you all worried now, isn't it? <laughs> do need that. I mean, we've got children and that, that, that actually does it for you. you know, Dad, you're not wearing that, are you? Um, and, but that's what, that's what we need. Okay, let's carry on. Back to the plot. As is often the case, there was more than a germ of truth in what Korah said to Moses. The whole community, he said, is holy. Every one of them, you've gone too far. And he was right. God had indeed uh, declared that they were now his people and that he was their God. But they overlooked that God had also decided that Moses and Aaron were to be the only ones to whom he would speak and that Aaron was to be the only one who could enter his presence. They'd overlooked that fact. We too have been declared uh, a holy people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. That comes from 1 Peter. But Ephesians 4 tells us that within this redeemed nation, there are different functions in the church. So we recognize apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And within that, there's a whole range of other functions as well, who've been given to us to provide leadership and oversight. So in the church, we expect to have leadership and oversight within the church and outside of the church. That's what a prophets and apostles do. And in, in a couple of weeks' time, we're having Richard Miller, who's got quite a, a, a prophetic gift, to come and give us some teaching in raising the level of prophecy in this church. I hope you've actually booked that Saturday and, and are coming, but it's going to be an important one. And Richard's a very uh, inspired teacher and leader, and, and, and you'll gain a lot uh, from that. But Hebrews 13:17 says this that we are to honor these men and submit to their leadership as they keep watch over us. We've got to honor them as they keep watch over us. So in Gateway uh, we are re we recognize the authority of eldership. Now 
we're a little bit out of step because we normally would expect to have two or more elders. We've only got one. Uh, we were rather careless and lost one along the way. Um, but Nigel's been given uh, the, the role and responsibility to lead us as the church. He is the man that we look to for leadership. And people joining the court church on the foundation course are asked in various ways if they recognize this gifting and are ready to accept this leadership. Do you recognize it? Do you see it? Uh, in, in, in my son's church, they go even further. They won't let you people join unless they do clear, are clear about that. Well, in which case, come anyway, but don't join us just yet because this is their leadership. This is what we have. Clearly, as you heard this morning, this is not a dictatorship. And Nigel goes out of his way to seek uh, our opinions and feelings. So tonight we're going to look at about uh, venues. Then we're going to pray about it and we're going to talk about it and we're going to seek the mind of, of, of the church to find out what, which way we go forward. But the final decision matters with the elders. It's their decision. They've got to take us forward. So tonight, you'll be able to express opinions as we pray together about a possible change to our meeting venue. Within this also, we've got the trustees. We're obliged by law to administer, uh, to have trustees to administer uh, the running of the trust. And uh, I've been, had the honour since, since January to serve the, as chair of the trustees. But one of the things that we have to bring in is, what is the role of trustees? Well, our role is to administer the trust and to ensure that there are sufficient finances or that we're in faith for future finances to allow this leadership to all that they feel God is calling them to do. In some churches, the trustees tend to strut their stuff a little bit. I'm a trustee or I'm the chair of the trustees. Uh, no, you can't do that, Nigel. Uh, no, you can't do this. Uh, you, oh, you've got to come to the trustees first. Uh, we want to, oh, we haven't been to the trustees. This is a nonsense. Uh, in, in fact, we are, by law, his employers. Yeah. <laughs> That's in law. That's what the law says. That's what we do. But actually... He's also our, our leader and our head and is a funny tension that, that, that creeps up within that. So trustees, uh, in, in my view of it, it is how people we are there. We've got a trust document. Uh, it says the various things that we can do. We're obliged, me and Phil, are, may, uh, uh, are, are obliged to make sure that what we do is in accordance with that trust. And, and that we have the money for it. So if, if Nigel suddenly gets a bright idea that he ought to have uh, a Rolls Royce uh, to, 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 um, so that he can lord it over the people uh, of, of where he lives, we'd have to look at that very, very carefully to see whether that's within the trust uh, or whether it's it, it not, and uh, certainly whether the money's there, which is not, so don't, don't so relax. Um, so, uh, you know, but we, we could buy him a bike. Um, so that's what... Uh, uh, we, we, we have to do. However, we've forgotten two important people. What about Dathan and Abirim? They were two brothers from the tribe of U Reuben. So what was their complaint? Well, it comes to five, uh, really, which I've put up there. They regret leaving Egypt. It's a land, they said, flowing with milk and honey. Oh, 
If only we could go back there and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. The breath must have smelled a bit, mustn't it? But uh, we could have, we could have, we had plenty of this and here we are, sand between our toes. We, you've taken us out of Egypt. The second complaint's pretty fair. They don't like being in the desert. I can understand, go along with that. Uh, we don't like being in the desert. And we don't like your leadership. And we haven't got this promised land yet, have we? Hey? Where is this promised land? That's why I find it's almost like a Monty Python sketch, isn't it? We're not there yet. Oh, no. And, and you, prom- you said that when we got there, we would have fields and farms and, and everything. And what we got? Rocks. Rocks. Well, a bit of manner and a bit of quail, but that's it. But what they, those are their complaints, but what they'd forgotten were that in Egypt they were slaves. And their treatment was so harsh that they cried out to God to release them. Not once. But over many years, they cried out and eventually their position was intolerable. Absolutely intolerable. It wasn't a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of savagery and beatings and, 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 and quotas to build things and make bricks without straw, etc. We don't like being in the desert. Well, actually, they'd refused to enter to trust God and enter the promised land. They had sent spies out to look at it. This is what it was all about. They sent spies in. And two had come back and said, yeah, we can take them on, no trouble at all. But the other ten, oh no, they're bigger. They're quite tall, you know. And for us smaller people, you know, tall people, they can feel intimidating. And you've got to learn to stand up to them and, and look them firmly in the navel and say, listen, I'm not... <laughs> and, that's what, but that's what you have to do. You have to look beyond what's in front of you and say, I can, I can crack you, mate. Uh, all right. I've lost myself enough. They, they, um, they objected to Moses' leadership. But it was quite all right when Moses had to go and face Pharaoh and tell him things to his face. Nothing, not a job I would have wanted particularly. And there are times, actually, when I'm glad I'm not the elder. And, and, and Nigel says, I've got to go do it and say, right, are you to me, mate? <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. And, and there are times when you don't want to have to do it. You have to talk to people. You have to face issues up. We haven't got to the promised land. Well, that had been your choice. You could have gone, but you didn't. And we haven't received our inheritance. Well, actually, your inheritance was there waiting for you. But you didn't go in. Brothers and sisters, our inheritance is there waiting for us. We've got to make sure we go in. We've got to make sure we don't miss it. We've got to make sure that we we don't turn our backs on it before we get in there. So what's the significance for us here in Gateway? How do we apply this rather strange and rather sad story to our lives. Well, all of us in Gateway made a choice to be here. Yeah, you made a choice to be here. So for some, it meant leaving friends and family and finding new jobs so they can join in uh, with the planting of this church here and elsewhere. And we think of Phil and and Anne, and we think of certainly of uh, 
Bev and Julian over there who are making that choice. They're selling their house uh, and wanting to relocate uh, to us here, to join us here. They're, they're Bev, uh, Julian's going to set up uh, a different business. He's got all sorts of things going to happen. Big financial thing going on in their lives. For others of you, it, you, it meant leaving a church that you'd outgrown or maybe you'd become dissatisfied with. Uh, for others, it's because you were no longer welcomed there. We would rather you went, if you don't mind. You know, go, go find another church somewhere else. Uh, Gateway's just down the road. Um, uh, <laughs> we've got a map, if you like. Um, uh, some of you have actually had that. For others, it's because you found Jesus for the t- first time. Some of you here, and we, we love having you here, are students. You're here for a short term only. And actually, what my challenge to you is, see what God is doing here. Don't just go with the flow of it. Because actually, I believe what God is saying to you guys, from whatever country you come from, when you go back there, I want things to be different in your lives. But for most of us here, it's not been without some cost. Would that be right? not been without some cost. So coming to Gateway was an opportunity to be involved in something new, something different, perhaps to rest a while and let wounds heal. Maybe it's an opportunity to be used again or for the first time in new fields of service. And we trust that you saw in Nigel and the leadership team men of passion with a vision to build the church. People that you could serve alongside and who would want you to develop uh, and expand in your gifting. We don't want you to come and settle. We want you to feel and hear what God is saying to you and to move into that. But the road is not always smooth and easy. It can get rocky at times and even hot and dusty, (coughs) just like the desert. And that's when we can flag There's so much to do and so few people to do it. Outside, we've got children's work going on. We can't do it every week. Why not? We haven't got sufficient people to lead it and to help. That's why not. And actually, that's a bit of a problem because it means that anybody bringing a family in here almost invariably come the week when there's nothing going on for the children. We need to be having something going on every week. But we can only do that if people rise up Uh, and take their their place. That's when the old land can appear rather attractive. One can forget, start to forget like Dathan and Abiram, the hardship of the old place, the battles that were fought, won and lost, and instead begin to yearn for the good old days in your own building when you didn't have to set the chairs out every week, when you didn't have to bring everything in and lug it around, when you just walked in and sat down and it happened around you, with lots of things going on around you. Oh, in our old church, we used to do this, you know. We did that, you know. We did something else, you know. And you can actually feel, begin to feel, actually, why... I, it, I, I, I wasn't so bad after all... Paul reminds us that we have to forget what's behind and instead press on to achieve the goal that's set before us. We will see and hear of things happening in other churches 
uh, in our town or across the region and want to have some of that here. Do you know what they're doing down so-and-so? They're doing such-and-such. Do you know what they and, and you can do this. And you can actually begin to think, well, actually, it should happen here now. And at times like this, we need to remind ourselves of what we've been called to and what God wants to do with us. We need to stand firm. If God is moving in a church across town, that's no reason why he can't or won't do that here. Perhaps he wants you to get out of your seat and be more proactive here. I went last week. Uh, we were looking after our son's children uh, while he went to um, uh, Prague uh, to conduct a wedding. Now, their church is much, much bigger than ours. It's 250-ish people. Um, uh, it's full of young people and students. Uh, there's certainly no, no place for people as old as us uh, there. They, they've got nobody there with grey hair at all, have they? Virtually. Um, and sickening, really. Um, but, um, but they're doing things. Why? Because they've got vibrant community. They've got a whole sense of being in it. If, 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 if they stand up and say, we need money for this, they'll give money. It's there. They're doing it. They're beginning to reach out into the town. They're beginning to reach out into other areas. We can't do that yet. No, but they were us, our size once, and they couldn't do that then. Does that make sense? We have to wait and hear what God is doing. Like Moses and the children of Israel, we have a leader whom God has confirmed as being the man for the job. We have a system of church government which is at first biblical and secondly endorsed by growth and multiplication throughout the world. So as we unite wholeheartedly in what God wants to do here, we shall see much blessing in this town and the other churches in the area as more and more people have their lives changed by the gospel. It won't just happen in Gateway, it will happen across the town. If you want to see growth, if you want to see the gospel coming, God doesn't restrict it to one church. It will happen across the town and across the region. <coughs> so the opposite of rebellion and opposition is a people comfortable in their calling and in their place in the church. It results in a people at peace with themselves, but with a desire to serve God and his purposes. Eventually, this might involve social action and will come as a result of people looking outwards for ways to serve in the community. That's the opposite of rebellion, a desire to enter the land, wholeheartedly grasping what God wants to do in his time frame. So it's quite an exciting time for us. I believe God's moving this church forward. And we're going to hear more about that tonight. So... If you don't normally come to the prayer meeting on a Sunday evening, can I encourage you, please come tonight. Please help us to pray. Please help us to talk through. Please tell, help us to find the way forward. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, for your presence. I want to thank you, Lord, the way that you just came in the middle of the meeting, touched lives, met people. Lord, this is a church that you want to develop and to grow. You want it to prosper. You want to use it, not for our own glory, but for your, your glory. You want it so that many, many other people would come to know you as Lord. Come to know your salvation. Come to know the release and freedom that comes from knowing you. So, Lord, we lift up this day to you. We look forward to meeting again tonight. Lord, just help us 
as we talk these issues through and as we uh, learn to honour each other and find the way forward. In Jesus' name, amen.